else, you dog, you. Bring on the wine, boys. Bring on the wine. And louder music. Bring it on. All together.
Gee, that's exciting. Fantastic. Magnific. Magnific. Formidable. Gumballa. Well, Kirsch, we're all living it together. We might as well admit it. And uh, you can cut this one off right here. That's, that's, that's it. Uh, just cut that, baby. Whew. Ah, that's wine, women, and song. Can be very, uh... Got your old blunt going. You notice that? Any more requests out there, gang? Huh? All right. We're all set. We're settling down. Excuse me one minute here while I tune up again now. All right. Thank you. Doggone, that knee has been bothering me. Wait a minute. i got to get my legs straight up. Mm. Oh, ouch. Can they hear that on the air? Mm. Oh, ow. Boy, them old tendons, I'll tell you. Yes, sir. <laughs> did you know that I one time did a one-man radio show when I played three different people and I did my own sound effects, operated the board, in case you're interested, and ran the transmitter. And uh, between programs, I used to take orders for 25-cent spots. And occasionally, I used to sweep out. Yeah, chee-choo. Harassment is on the Rudy Tooth. Oh, we're all in it together. Let's face it. I mean, I, I, am I supposed to feel sorry for Willie Loman? Get it out, Willie Schmoman. Schmilly Loman. Let me tell you, I mean, we're all in it together. Would you please bring me a little mood music, Mario, please? A little mood music. Very good. Oxalante. Superba. Kambala. Change your mood, and you change your life. <laughs> now, for the first time, offered in the United States, are you not getting what you want? <laughs> now you can do something about it. Yes, acquire love, money, personal satisfaction, a sense of achievement and happiness that you deserve by the miracle of light. The new magic mood lamp. Get what you go after now. And you think Willie Loman was sad. Listen carefully to this. Can you imagine the difference this could have made in Willie's life had he been given this as, say, an anniversary present or a little gifty from the little womany? Or maybe from that buyer up in Boston? Get what you go after now. Let the soft, pink, muted glow of this little magic lamp help you create the mood to master your thoughts and desires. Tales of miraculous achievements, accomplishments of mind are now known. To be fact. If you believe you are missing out on the better things in life, happiness, success, love, ah, security, or wealth, why not do something about it now? This lamp in your living room, turned to the proper intensity, will bring you all you have desired in life. Batteries not included. Satisfaction guaranteed. Yes. My 
mood lamp. Two ninety five. <laughs> we sure got a lot of nerve laughing about those underdeveloped nations, ain't we? Yes, and we, you know, we sit here and we, we, in our, in our self-complacency and our self-satisfaction, we laugh about these guys. You know, I, I, when I was down in the Amazon, in the headwaters up there, where they really do have headhunters, and I'll tell you, they admit it. Of course, our headhunters don't necessarily admit they hunt heads. But uh, these are real ones. And I'm sitting there in my little, my little chocola with the rain beating down on the palm leaf roof. And I look out over across the little clearing. And off in the distance, you can hear the sound of the of the river moving through the vast jungle. But give me a little more of that mood music. I think that kind of go with this, don't you think so? I haven't talked much about that lately, have I? I will. Don't worry. It'll all come out. And you can hear the sound of that great, dark, brown river moving with its... Icy water. You always think of jungle rivers being hot and tepid. This water was ice cold as it flowed down from the reaches of the Andes. And I sat in the midst of this trackless jungle, looking across the clearing where I could see a small light flickering, just flickering quietly. In the, in the next hut, there were only two. And off in the distance somewhere you could hear jungle birds that awoke only at night. Ooh. They would call. Ooh. Ooh. And I sat on the edge of my 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 pine ball bench, just looked out over that darkness. And thought of the great country I had left behind me. I thought of our own particular brand of mysticism. Our magic lamps. Our magic symbols. I thought of our automobiles with the great names like So Blah. Names like Tempest. Names like Storm. Anger. Desire. Love. Hate. Guts. <laughs> Wait till they bring out a car and it has that name on it. Guts. In chrome letters. Old English chrome letters. A little arrow running through it. Yes. And they'll get right down to it. There one... Well, I'm sure that before long, one will come out just called Soxy. Spelled S-E-X-Y. Yeah. Chrome letters, of course, on the sign. Special design by Raymond Lowy. Special... Overtones, courtesy of Dr. Sigmund Freud. And of course, not to mention the Greek great tragedians, Oedipus. Boing. That's not a bad name for a car in itself. Yes. The Buick Oedipus. The mother in law hater. And there's a little chrome figure tearing his eyes out. I think that's not a bad idea. <laughs> All right, gang, this is this. not really the way to. Now, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I read this story of this lamp, and I, I was reminded of something uh, that that uh, 
that had not occurred to me in a long time. I'm working in this... Do you want to hear the story about my, my experience with a mood lamp? Yeah. You know, most people think in terms of when you say mood, they think of uh, Muzak. They think of uh, getting themselves a couple of Thornolius Monk records, a couple of things by Miles Davis, and you know, throwing it on the old LP, throwing it on the stereo and turning it up. Well, they forget that light itself has its uh, own particular and peculiar and highly effective qualities. And one time I'm working in this little crummy, rotten, stinking, moldy, two-bit radio station. Oh, boy. You know, when you get into the backwashes of showbiz, uh, really, the backwashes of showbiz, like, like working in a real bad off-Broadway play where 17 people dress in one little room the size of a very small closet in a place where the housing is definitely underprivileged. And, uh, and you're putting on your cardboard armor and somebody else's... <laughs> and I am playing the devil of all things. I'm playing, I'm playing Mephistopheles and I'm in this little crummy, rotten off Broadway theater. And that's somehow just not fit for the devil. You always think of the devil, don't you? Living in indolent ease. Living a life in, oh, the devil himself. I mean, you, you think of the people who are under his command, burning forever. And once in a while, the imps run out there with the little pokers, and they stick them in there, yelling and hollering. You know, the other night, I read a, a little, little clipping on the air, and it said, uh, it, was a, it was a question uh, that was given to one of these uh, columnists who answers questions of theological interest, of all things. And it says, Dear Doctor, or reverend, or whatever it was. Dear reverend, uh, do you believe that women think of something different than men when they think of heaven? <laughs> well, I thought, yes, indeed. <laughs> Let's say most men. <laughs> let's put it this way, most women. And then I suddenly thought, when I, and I read that, and I thought, well, yeah, but let's put it on the other thing there. Let's go to the, the uh, omega here of the alpha and omega scale. Uh, do women, when they think of hell... Do they think of the same kind of hell that men think of? I think that's even more pertinent, because most of us suspect. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, this is WOR AM and FM New Yorkie frenzies there. We're enjoying the game with the famous 2,500-year-old brewmaster. Uh, sir, you must remember the very early days of football and those battles on the old gridiron. But do you know why a football field is called a gridiron? Do you know why, dummy? I assume because of those white lines. Wrong. About 1,100, 1,200 years ago, the entire football field was made from iron. Oh. And the football itself was made of lead. Oh. And you needed a very, very strong human being to hurl and throw a forward pass. I should think so. And you needed an idiot to catch it. <laughs> After one of those rough games on a, on a real gridiron, I guess it was time for a valentine. You bet your boots be yeah-yeah-lay-and-t-yeah-yeah-lay-night-time, valentine-ting-time beer. So you spelled it wrong. I did. If you want to start living a life that's livelier, live it with spirit. Valentine beer. There's more spirit to it. The time, the evening of April 13th, 1964. The event, the annual presentation of the coveted awards by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. On stage, Anne Bancroft, 
winner of the Oscar for her superb performance in The Miracle Worker, is now presenting Sidney Poitier with the Best Acting Award for his outstanding performance in Lilies of the Field. And now, Sidney Poitier and Anne Bancroft join their Oscar-winning talents for the first time in The Slender Thread. Sidney Poitier and Anne Bancroft are giving the performances of their lives in The Slender Thread from Paramount Pictures. When a woman's emotions sway on a slender thread, expect anything. Oh, man, a woman's emotions sway on a slender thread. Thursday at the Victoria Festival and Murray Hill Theatres. Let's see, we also have uh, Rober. Uh, They make a fine automobile, the Rover 2000, which is... uh, there's not much I can say about it. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, I'll make you a deal. Are you, are you interested in, 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 in a deal? Now, listen carefully here. Don't all you be confused, because when all the stuff comes in, you're going to want to know what I said. Now, the deal I'm making here is this, that there is very little you can say about an automobile on the air, uh, except to repeat what you've already said. It's a great car. If you would like to get a picture of the Rover in color, and information about it. No one will bang on your door, nothing like that. And I'm doing this entirely on my own. I think I can get them for you. So if you would like to have pictures and so on, and all the details and the technical data and one thing and another sent to you about the Rover, you're just maybe a car buff, you'd like to know about it, send your name and address to Rover here at WOR in care of me, old Fred here. Just write R-O-V-E-R, and I will see to it that you get all this stuff. And your name is not going to enter any customer's list, okay? We'll keep your name right here, and I'll just get a pile of the stuff, and I'll send it out to you. It's Rover, in care of W-O-R, 1440 Broadway, New York City. And no matter where you are, if you're up in Maine, if you're down in Florida or someplace, we'll send you the stuff. And I think you'll find this a fascinating car to read about, even if you're not interested in buying a new car, Okay. And, uh, oh, oh, yeah, one more thing, uh, that, that I want to say here before we, uh, get too involved. We finished all the commercials here, so you can come back. It's all right. Uh, w- there is a, a big article on the show, and I want to thank them for it. You know, there, there isn't much writing done about radio and what, uh, people in it are trying to do. And there is a superb article. In fact, I might say one of the best articles that I've ever read on the show and, what we try to do here every night. In the current issue of Harper's Magazine, this is a very official magazine and an excellent one. I've read this magazine. This is not a promo. Incidentally, I'm very delighted to get this because Harper's Magazine is the kind of magazine that just is not involved in the press agent world. Uh, It's the kind of magazine that no press agent can touch. And I don't know of many magazines that that's true of today. That uh, every time I pick up a copy of any one of the big weekly magazines, uh, all, all, almost invariably, I, I pick it up, you know, there's a picture of this girl on the cover, some fantastic new movie or something, and it's supposed to be a big news magazine, and I see printed in my mind, the little purple letters all over the article, press agent, press agent, uh, trade deal, trade deal. <laughs> well, that is not true of Harper's, and I want to thank them. It just came out, and it's in the January issue, the January 1966 issue of Harper's. And it was written by 
Ed Goldman. What? Goldsmith? No, that's not true. It's a, uh, it's a, it's an excellent article, and uh, I think you'll find it worth reading. If you if you enjoy the show, that is. If you don't, you'll probably get. Yeah, it's Ed Grossman. I'm sorry. And uh, Ed Ed did a. I I only know him as as a writer for Harper's. He's not not a you know nothing than that. He just called one day and they did the piece, and I was so uh, delighted. I I never thought it would actually appear. You know, it's one of those things. And it's in the current issue. And there's probably the weirdest line drawing of me there in in this this side of Chinese calligraphy. I mean. I... <laughs> I don't know whether I'd ever recognize myself, but uh, I think you'll find it interesting. You know, speaking of uh, speaking of this, uh, last night we talked about the strange world of the image, and uh, it sure is there. You know, I I have noticed one curious thing about that image world. We're all victims of it. We really are. Uh, and I've seen it operate on so many levels. This is not going to be a serious discussion show, so you don't have to get worried. I just want to make one additional comment on that. I, I remember when I was traveling with the Beatles. Now, I traveled and lived with the Beatles for a full month and got very involved in their lives, got to know them very personally, and really did travel with them. I don't mean as a guy from the radio, anything like that. We got really involved. And I began to see how writers... Uh, no matter how erudite or official they were, whenever they would approach the Beatles, they would approach the Beatles with an idea already formed in their mind as to what they wanted them to be. They 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 would approach the Beatles with an idea that they. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? And anything that the Beatles said or did that that did not fit that idea, they ignored. And so uh, I, I would see, I would see day after day, week after week, the press talking to the Beatles. And so they always came out the same way, uh, uh, almost at total odds and at variance with the way they really were. And one time, I uh, <laughs> funny, I talked to one writer and I said, "Well, have you ever had an idea of just writing about the Beatles the way they really are?" And he looked at me as though I was kind of a nut, and he says, "Well, what do you mean, Governor?" And he was writing for one of the one of the bad English tabloids. Let me tell you, their tabloids in England make our tabloids read seriously, like the Manchester Guardian. They've got tabloids that are written in blood. I mean, the blood and mud and everything. They don't write them in ink, you know. It's terrible. And uh, he said, "Why do you mean, Governor?" And I said, "Well, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if somebody did an article and just wrote about the Beatles where they really are?" You know. He says, oh, he says, "Oh, you you're, you're daft, man." And I said, well, what do you mean I'm daft, man? He said, well, no, no, believe it. <laughs> and he's right, yeah. They're so ordinary that no one would believe it. They want to believe they're kind of like little nymphs. Well, well, uh, that, that comes through in a lot of uh, areas that I've seen. Uh, like, like, uh, I just did a, uh, a show here the other night at Seton Hall University. And it was a great article appeared in the paper about it. Beautiful, wonderful article on it. The only thing that was fascinating about it was was when the man described me. He described me, you see, in the in the piece, and the description was totally unlike what I really am. For example, he said, uh, he says I had a frayed shirt. He says uh, Mr. Shepherd appeared in a frayed shirt, and he had he had the old dusty uh, uh, moccasins, and it and and he described me by the way as a very little man. 
which I am not. <laughs> but then he went on to say that I had a pair of rumpled gray slacks. The curious thing about it, now I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not putting it down. I'm merely saying that this, I think, is the image that he brought into the auditorium. And he transformed me into that. Uh, for one thing, I'm five feet ten. That's not particularly little, is it, uh, Mario? Well, of course, you're seven feet nine, so I suppose it would be. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm about, I'm, I'm right under five eleven. And I have never owned a pair of gray slacks in my life. I have never worn moccasins in my life. And the shirt that he described, I had bought that afternoon. <laughs> so, you know, it's all those curious things. That's, that's all I... Uh, now, I'm not putting it down. I'm just merely saying that I believe that when we approach a thing which we already have a set opinion on, we create that thing into our image. It's an odd thing. Uh, I'm sure that many a guy standing next to, say... Uh, uh, Sophia Lawrence, she's probably tired, bags under her eyes, you know, she's little wrinkles and all that. He transforms her into this fantastic fairyland creature right before his own, and believes she really is that. Because uh, this is, uh, it's, it's, again, that's the reality in the dream. We're always being bugged by that. And you know that mood lamp piece that I just read is so, is so, so much part of it. I'm working in this crummy, rotten little radio station one time. I'm going to tell you a story about a mood lamp. And uh, every night I'm on the air, late, late at night, and I'm, I'm on this, this awful, awful uh, program and nothing but they had Hillbilly Records. Let me tell you, it's, it's fascinating to me to see how so much of the unbelievably bad music now is being hailed as a great, uh, it's great American folk jazz and so on. And, and these, these records, they were made out of solid slate. Uh, they, they were recorded in sewers. They were recorded in little two-bit recording studios that uh, had their had their main offices over pool halls, you know that kind of stuff. Oh wow! And and this radio station would get them in free, and that's the only actually if you paid fifteen cents you were being taken. And that uh, we had these records, and every night I would sit in this little hot studio, and I was working my way through school. As a matter of fact, this was when in my college days, and I was working my way through school. And this summer I had this job in this little two-bit tank on station. And every night I'd grind this stuff out. Oh, I hated it. Oh, boy. I really hated it. And the, the uh, manager of the station said, now look, he says, you got to, you got to use an accent. He says, you cannot, you cannot come out like you know how to read. He says, we, uh, that nobody who listens to this, this station reads anything. And they don't want any suggestion. You can't use any type of English that has any style at all to it. He says, I always want you to say them. You have to say, I wonder what all them guys want. <clears throat> you have to, you have to use that kind of, that kind of language. And so, I would go into the John, this little John. They had, they, it was such a little station, they didn't even have two separate Johns. They didn't have one Mark Ladies and one Mark Men. They just had a John. And boy, was it ever basic. It was the kind of John that you find in these real crummy gas stations. Way out along the road, you know, where a big sign says, eat. And you drive along, and you come up to this little station. They have one pump, and it's one of those pumps that has a screen around. It has a big tank on the top, and on, on, above that is a, is, a, is a big round glass thing, and it has some kind of uh, totally unknown gasoline, like Powey gas, high test. Uh, <clears throat> you know, that kind of special gas, and the light bulb is burned out in it, and the guy comes out, and he says, what do you want? And you say, well, I, I'd like... Uh, I'd like uh, $2 worth. He'd say, okay, $2 worth. You want the high test, Mac? 
And you say, yeah. He said, okay, back her up. Well, yeah, I don't have no hose on this thing. And you back it up, and he's got this little piece of canvas hose that looked like an old, worn-out fire hose, and he backs it up, and he pours gas immediately all over the back of the car, and then he starts pumping it with his hand. It goes... <laughs> and then you stick your head out, and you say, Ahem, uh, where is it? He says, where is what? And you say, well, <laughs> well, where is the... Is the uh, oh, you, you look... Oh, it's over there, Mac, over there behind us, the back of the bushes there. And you go back, and there's this little house with a moon. Well, that's that's the kind of scene we had, and, and it was that kind of station. And you could all over the all over in the station, uh, the, the atmosphere of that permeated everything. Uh, you, you know what I mean? It's a very oh yeah. And, uh, the equipment is rotten and crummy, and I'd sit there all night and I'd play these records. And at the end of the week, I would get a cool nineteen dollars. Now the week was seven days. So actually, there was no end to the week. It just went on and on, hour after hour. I worked 34 hours a day and went on and on. And every so often, it seemed like every six or seven months, the door would open and the guy would throw in this greasy little envelope with 19 $1 bills. They paid you in cash. They'd throw it in. <laughs> and you'd just keep yelling into the thing. And now, here we go. It's number 422 on the Hillbilly Hip Raid. And I would go on and on. Well, we had this commercial. And the commercial started out like this. It says, friends, would you like a little glamour in your life? Would you like a little beauty in your life? Would you like to bring the kind of beauty into your life that you've been reading about in all those wonderful family magazines like Better Homes and Gardens? We have now available for you at an absolutely money-back guarantee offer. A money-back offer. You must be satisfied or your money will be returned to you without absolutely no questions asked within 10 days. We will send you now for just $3.95 a magic firefly lamp. And if you don't prefer the firefly lamp, a magic forest fire lamp, where when you turn this lamp on, you will watch the beauty of a great forest fire burning up a great forest. Beautiful reds and greens will fill that entire room of yours. And then you can have as a special offer, a special shade that goes with your magic forest fire lamp, a magic sunset lamp shade. Yes, friends, send your name and address. Well, you know, I'm knocking myself out. Well, apparently one night I hit the jackpot. They sold three of them. And that was more than they'd sold the whole previous month before that. And the magic forest fire lamp guy called up. He was so delighted with the fantastic job that I did selling the magic forest fire lamps. And he called me up, and the phone rang, and I'm, I'm reeling around. I got a record on, you know, and I'm running out to try to get a glass of water or a Coke or something. I'd been in that little hut there for 27 straight days. And and the girl at the desk says, uh, "There's a, one of the sponsors is on. I said, sponsor? I never even knew you sponsor. Is there actually a magic forest fire lamp man? And I, I picked up the phone, and this voice says, Hello, son. And I said, Yes, I've been listening to you, and you're going to get a package. You're going to get a little surprise in the mail. You do a wonderful job on that magic forest fire lamp commercial, and don't think that we down here at the office don't appreciate it. Well, I, I you know, I, I thought for a minute, well, gee, am I being put on? What is this? And sure enough, about two days later, there is this big package arrives. And I open it up. Remember, I'm getting $19 a week, and I'm living in, a, in the worst apartment I ever lived in in my life. All of us have had places we have lived in that we remember with fantastic... Now, I'm not... Most... Many of you... Now, now I, must, uh, I, must, I must put in a little asterisk, a little footnote, and that is this. That to, to those of you who have always lived at home, 
or you, you, you have just left living at home and are now in a college dormitory. You do not know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about to the rest of us who at one point in our life were, were detached from the, from the mother trough and we were drifted out and had to make our way or die, as they say in the, in the bad novels. And all of us who have done this, we've learned something. We've all lived in, in crummy little hovels of one kind or another for one reason or another that we hardly even remember. It's amazing how quickly you can forget those places. Even if you've lived in it for a whole year and you know every inch, every cockroach-packed inch of this, of this, this mud hut you're living in. Well, I had gotten this apartment. After all, when you're making $19 a week, you don't, you don't, uh, you know, you're pretty cagey about where you're going to live and how much it's going to cost. And so I got this place that cost me $7 a week. And it was, it was a, it was a $7 a week place. It was a dollar a day place. And uh, it was one room and it was gray. Now, that's that special battleship gray that they paint in those rooms, in bad hotels. You run into this gray everywhere. They use it in bad hotels. They use it in two-bit, rotten, crummy boarding houses in places like Chillicothe. And it's a, a special gray paint that has no color at all. It's, 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 uh, it's almost what you might call primeval gray. It's the kind of gray that you associate with, with ancient ruins. Just, there's no color. You don't, you're never even, I suppose the reason this is so, they paint the walls this color, so that you're never conscious of the walls. Now, if you were to paint something red or white or blue, you'd know you've got red or white or blue walls. But this gray, you can look as hard as you can at it, and it's invisible. It's gray. And it had been painted over and over and over. You could see lumps all over the walls, you know, just lumps and bumps and all kinds of cracks. They just paint so much paint in a crack that they fill the crack with paint, and then they put more paint on top of that. And you can see all kinds of lumps. You can see where they painted over somebody's sock, and now the sock is petrified. It's stuck in the wall there, and you see all, you, you know, a little piece of cheese sandwich that somebody must have eaten in 1898 when this place, you know, and it, it had been a boarding house, and then it had been turned into a, uh, some kind of a rooming house for wayward somethings, uh, wayward turtles or something. And then it went back into a boarding house, and now it was a boarding house again. And there was this old lady named Mrs. Geyer, who was the boarding house Herod. Oh, boy, I'll never forget her. I, you know what I think she had down the basement? A cabbage factory. I think because cause all you smelled when you would come in here, this is a great blast of cabbage. You'd smell this cabbage. And I never, they never ate there. It was one of those boarding houses, you know, where they eat. It was just a rooming house, really, is what it was. And, and on my wall, the only decoration that they had on the wall, well, they had two decorations. One of them was a picture. I, I, to this day, I remember it was a brown sepia-toned picture. There's something, something sickening about sepia-toned pictures. I don't know what it is. It, it just seems to be uh, all part of that borderline, sad, lost and gone uh, uh, kind, of, uh, kind of fringe attempts at creating beauty where no beauty can possibly exist. And here is the sepia-toned picture, and it showed a big dog. Uh, have you ever seen that picture? I've seen it from time to time. It was a reproduction, of course, but it was a big, fluffy dog, uh, a kind of uh, like a like a uh, a Saint Bernard, and this dog was sort of looking very noble, 
and and looking out, and he was black and white, or actually brown and brown, and the sepia tone, there was a dust, and they painted the gray over it, and somebody sw swabbed it off, and, and this dog was looking out, and, and, and behind the dog, there were two big white horses looking out with big manes flying and their eyeballs, you know, revolving and all that stuff. And, and they looked out at me from this sepia tone print, and it had, it had like a bronze, a, a fake wooden bronze frame that was all swirls and that had all, and paint, you could see the paint dripped all over it, and you could smell beer where somebody thrown beer on it one time and that whole scene. And that was, that was the decor. That was on the wall off to the left of this bed. Now I say, I use the word bed advisedly. I was always afraid to look under it. Uh, primarily because when I did, it was so dark under there. I figured I'd see something really obscene, really rotten under there. So I never really looked under the bed. And, and uh, I never really looked at the mattress either. I was always worried about the same thing. You know, this mattress all lumpy and it had straw in it or something. I was lying there and it was hot, always hot in this place. Just absolutely fantastically hot. And the windows wouldn't go up. One window. And this window was covered with this black stuff that gets all over windows, you know, just covered up with a black junk. And I could never open it. It had been painted down 47,000 times. Impossible to open the window. And, and hanging over the window were these dark brown curtains, just big brown things hanging down. There was one other piece of decor in the room. A rope. They had a rope. They had about a, a 25-foot rope hanging in a, in a loop, a big coil of rope that had knots in it so that in case this place ever found its pest hole, ever burnt down, you could kick out the window, jump out of the window, and hang onto the rope, I guess. <laughs> I am sure that more than one tenant lying in this little, this little hutch uh, with with the dog looking over his head, and, and with those those big white horses, those brown sepia tone horses staring out over him, lying on this lumpy pad, and hearing the cockroaches run around on the floor and yelling and hollering at the mice, took one look at that rope and had an idea of what to do with it. Looked at that rope. Give me a little mood music there, will you please? Just a little mood music. Yes. And I'd lay there in that 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 hutch. And I'd smell that gray paint smell. And off the hall, just outside of my room, was the community John. And once in a while, I would hear down the hall, there were always old men I would meet in that hall, shuffling along, wearing old bathrobes, carrying toothbrushes. Once in a while, I'd meet one, and he'd have a glass in his hand. And in the glass, you'd see water. And in the water would be his store teeth. And I'd meet these gray elderly gentlemen and once in a while old skinny ladies would come down from up above and they'd walk down through the stairs and they'd nod at you. They'd recognize you as a fellow resident of this, this Sargasso Sea of humanity. And I'd lie there and I'd wait, see, I'd wait till three, four o'clock in the morning. And then I would, I would open the door because I would figure that would be the only time that, that you could go, you could walk into the bathroom. And, and the thing about the bathroom was it was like a haven. You turn on the light and it had tile walls and it was so bright. It was so light. You had a sense of, of life in this just there because it was light. No matter how many lights you turned on in my gray room, it was always dark. It was as though the walls were like some kind of suction that drew in all the light and just ate it up. and kind of digested it and disappeared. And, and the, the one light in this room was a brass bridge lamp. A brass bridge lamp that sat next to the bed 
And it was one of those spindly kind that had brass leaves that were bent down from the top. And it was a brown parchment shade that had vague vines inscribed on it. Just vague, dark, disappearing, faded vines. And it had a 25-watt bulb. One 25-watt bulb. And I would turn the switch, and I, for a second, it would a few little sparks would fly out of the bottom, and then that little light would flare up, and you could hear the wall going, sucking it in. And I'd lie there in the darkness by myself. Well, that night, I brought home my magic fire, my magic forest fire lamp, and I sat there for a minute, and I opened it all up, and there it was. There it was. That strange little lamp, about six inches tall. And I plugged it in after unplugging my bridge lamp. I plugged in the forest fire lamp, and all of a sudden it flared up. That 60-watt bulb in there just what was like it was like it was like a fountain of light and beauty. And I looked at it, and sure enough, I could see trees all around, all around that 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 little shade there were trees it was like you were looking out over a vast landscape and the sky lit up green and blue and yellow and then the forest fire lamp began to revolve the shade revolved and as it revolved it looked like the whole world was burning up and magic had come to Mrs. Geyer's rooming house up on the third floor and every night I would return from my labors in the great vineyard, my throat sore, my eyes hurting from the cigarette smoke, the, the, the trailing aroma of the station behind me like some gray green fog. And I would turn on my magic forest fire lamp. And that great conflagration would roar and thunder out. And I would lie there on the sack and I would read novels to the to the revolving shade and little yellow and red and green lights would flicker across the pages I'm reading I don't even remember I, I remember one book I read for some reason or other it just comes to me I remember lying there reading Carson McCullers Reflections in a Golden Eye a bad book and I lay there and those gold lights and the forest fire raged and roared and a little bit of magic had come into that gray, encrusted, cockroach-infested hovel. Hour after hour. So don't laugh, friends. Willie is everywhere.